Good afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and today is Renegade Times. Let's just get into it. <clears throat> Thanks, cell phone, for making that noise. <laughs> I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving, and if you're one of those woke folk, please shut up. The Native American people, the culture, it's not innocent either. Just saying. Okay? Pilgrims might have done some fucked up shit, too. I'm not gonna denounce that. I'm not gonna deny that. But, so did the Native Americans. You all know that when they took prisoners, they just tortured them and then killed them, right? For fun. Not trying to harp on anybody who has pride in their Native American culture. I'm not saying that. You do you. I'm just saying every culture has a bad side. You know. Also with Native Americans. Okay. That's all I'm saying. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to contact me in the links down in the description below. Thank you very much and let's go! So if you guys follow my Instagram, I did talk about um, how Poland uh, was blasted, um, I want to say a week ago, or at least the beginning of this week, I can't remember when, but it broke my heart because I know that there are people in Poland that do listen to this radio station, and I just want to let you guys know I love you and I am praying for you, and I hope and pray that you guys can recover quickly from this because you guys did not deserve that at all. Um, so, but, um, because I want to inform everybody about everything that's going on, I do my best to do that. Um, I am going to talk about the news in Poland right now and, um, how this, uh, attack came to be and who did it and why, so stay tuned real quick. Alright. Poland blast may not be due to missile fired from Russia, says Biden. Alright. The thing is, is that, I don't know, the way that Reuters has decided to, um, word it, or maybe Biden worded it that way, either way, um, it just sounds sketchy to me. Like, there is a, like, Ukraine and Russia are at war, they're firing shit at each other ever since they started, and... Now Poland is in the middle of it, and I don't know whether Poland is a ally of Ukraine, United States, or Russia, but anyway, um, just the fact that he was like, oh, well, it, it, it was probably not Russia. Russia's a really big country, and he's going to blame the trajectory, like, it proves the, the trajectory- the, Wow, I can't say that word. The trajectory proves that it didn't come from there. 
I, I find that hard to believe when, when Russia takes up maybe at least one-sixth of the frickin' globe. Um, okay. Anyway, November 16th, the United States and its NATO allies are investigating the blast that killed two people in Poland, but early information is just... Wow, suggests it may not have been caused by a missile fired from Russia, U.S. President Joe Biden said. Biden spoke after um, global leaders gathered for the G20 meeting in Bali, Indonesia, and had an emergency meeting on Wednesday after a deadly explosion in Prezidwo. I am so sorry. Zuwado village um, in eastern Poland near the border with Ukraine. I apologize. I'm very bad at pronunciation. So, um, Ukraine and Polish authorities said the explosions with or which killed two people were caused by Russian made missiles. Um, after, I hate this website, they asked whether it was too early to say that any missile was fired from Russia. Biden said that the trajectory suggested otherwise. There is preliminary information that contests that, he told reporters. I don't want to say that until we completely investigate it, but it is unlikely that it was fired from Russia, but we will see. I understand his reasoning. He doesn't want to scare anybody. um, Because this could start a world war. Because, you know, blasting another country is just going to bring in another army in order for them to defend themselves. And Poland has every right to do that. So, however this happened or whatever happened, they have to get down to the bottom of it without, like, pointing fingers. And I understand that. That's fine. Um... But yeah, uh, the U.S. and NATO countries fully investigate would fully investigate before acting, he added. Um, the statement um, left open a number of questions, including whether Biden meant Russia likely had no capability in the blast at all. The White House did not immediately clarify the comment. Biden, however, condemned Russia for ramping up missile attacks within Ukraine calling recent strikes and civilian casualties casualties totally inconscionable inconscionable is that a word anyway the emergency meeting was uh, convened by Biden the White House said so we agreed uh, to support Poland's investigation into the explosion in rural Poland, that's a word that I cannot say or pronounce, rural, rural, (laughs) um, near the Ukrainian border. And they're going to make sure we figure out, um, exactly what happened, Biden said. See, it's conveniently, the village is conveniently right next to Ukraine, like near the Ukrainian border. Either Ukraine did it, Or Russia decided to just outstretch its arm and go, Poke. I want to bug you. Oh, I killed two people. That's terrible. This could start a world war again. I don't, I don't, I don't want this. I don't think anybody wants this. It's, it's terrible. 
why did you bring Poland into this? And then we're going to collectively determine our next step as we investigate and proceed. There was totally, there was total um, unanimity. Whoa, that's another word I can't say. Unanimity among folks um, at the table. A White House official later said Biden would support the process, though not necessarily the conclusions of the Polish investigation. Um, leaders from Germany, Canada, Netherlands, Japan, Spain, Italy, France, and the United Kingdom also joined the meeting with Biden. Um, all except for Japan um, are members of NATO. Okay. The defense alliance that also includes Poland. Um, a, deter- blah blah. a determination um, that Moscow was to blame for the blast could trigger NATO's principle of collective defense known as Article 5 in which an attack on one of the Western Alliance's members is deemed an attack on all, starting deliberations on a potential military response. I told you. I told you. I didn't even know about Article 5. That's crazy. Um, Poland has said it was verifying whether it requests request consultations under Article 4 of the Alliance, which allows NATO members to bring any issue of concern, especially regarding security, for discussion at the North Atlantic Council. Poland summoned Russia's ambassador to Warsaw for an explanation after Moscow denied it was responsible. I just hope that Poland is able to get down to the bottom of this and I don't want to say get back at them because I feel like that would trigger a world war, but be able to take care of this in the most diplomatic way possible. Okay, I got really heated the last time and I'm kind of glad that I scrapped the last recording because I was pissed. I got really pissed and I don't, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. So let me get something clear before I read this. I have no problem if you identify as whatever you believe that you are, alright? That's you. That's on you. That's your life. I can say that there are only two genders which I believe, okay? That a man and a woman should only procreate. That's what I believe, okay? I don't hate anybody who's gay. Like I said, that's your life. You do you, okay? I choose to show love to people who are different from me in real life. This is just where I vent. Rogue Radio is where I vent, so... Before I read this, I just want to say something real quick. Just because you're in the LGBTQ does not make you a parent to other children. Okay. Putting on drag shows for children is wrong. That's pedophilia. That's crossing the line to me. Okay. vandalizing a Christian organization 
that may or may not have any ties to this shooting that happened in Club Q is wrong. I don't care what their values are. Christians are allowed to believe that there are only two genders, that a man and a woman should only get married, and all of that other stuff. Okay? It only becomes a problem when a Christian says that that gay person or the LGBTQ uh, member is going to hell because of what they do. I don't believe in condemning anybody to hell. I think that's God's job. Okay? I'm here to show love. I'm here to be Jesus to the world. That's me. And if they choose, okay, if they choose to reconvert to being straight or whatever, that's their choice. That's fine. The problem I have with part of the LGBTQ is that they feel like they have to find random hills to die on. Because they feel like, oh, well, if no one's talking about this, I will. But it's not even a conversation that should even be had. You know what I mean? I don't know. Let's just get into it. Maybe all of that will make sense after I'm done reading this. But blood is on your hands. Christian nonprofit vandalization or vandalized after Club Cube shooting. The headquarters to focus on the family, a Christian pre-parachurch um, organization, was vandalized Thursday. Um, following a mass shooting at a gay nightclub in Colorado. Um, the phrases, your, their blood is on your hands and five lives taken appeared on a sign displaying the focus on the family logo in an apparent attempt to link the group for uh, the shooting which claimed the lives of five people and resulted in 25 injuries. Law enforcement officials have no information about a suspect in the act of vandalism, according to the report from the Colorado Springs Gazette. So, as far as I'm hearing and as far as I have read, they have attacked Focus on the Family because they are a Christian organization. And they, I've listened to a lot of their audio tapes and a lot of their podcasts and stuff and radio shows. So, yeah, I am assuming that they do believe that, you know, two genders, man and a woman, should get married. All of that. It, the basic textbook Christian stuff. Okay. Um, that does not make them responsible for the, the lives taken. Like I said, this, this is a random hill to die on, people. And I mean die in a very loose way. It's just a metaphor. But... Focus on the Family exists to share the gospel with as many people as possible by nurturing and affirming God-ordained institution of the family and proclaiming biblical truths worldwide, according to the organization's website. Club Q is an adult-ordained, or oriented, sorry, um, gay and lesbian nightclub hosting theme nights, such as drag shows. Both organizations are located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The days after the shooting, members of the legacy uh, media linked carnage, linked the carnage with the conservative conservative backlash against drag shows for children. Yeah, I would give you backlash for that too, because that's fucking wrong. Let children choose who they want to be. 
You don't need to influence them. That's terrible. No, leave the kids alone. All they want to do is play with the toys and pick their nose. Shut up. Stop. Which have occurred in a number of gay bars across the country over the past several months. Okay. Court documents noted that the alleged shooter, who will not be named in accordance to Daily Wire or Rogue Radio, um, which is, you know, we're depriving mass murderers of notoriety because some, some of them want that, but anyway... Um, they identify as non-binary and use they, them pronouns. During one viral moment, a guest on CNN insisted that the suspect cannot truly be non-binary, asserting that they're just saying that because they want to have the easy way out on this. The guest, a biological male who claims identity as a transgender female, added that it was obvious with the mugshot that's a man it's funny how now I'm not defending the shooter I'm just saying for instance if this guy was anybody else you would let that person believe that that person is non-binary like if he didn't like shoot people okay he would have been fine being non-binary to somebody who's transgender but because he shot people and had spoken about his uh, pronouns and his sexual identity, is it sexual identity? I don't know. Then, you know, the LGBTQ don't want them. They, they disown them. And to be honest, rightfully so, I don't want like a shooter in my community that says I'm part of that community. I understand that. But the thing is, is that you're assuming their gender. You're assuming a person's gender just because they did something wrong. And that would just give me the right to assume your gender, which is your biological male in a dress. You know? But then again, I'm not defending the shooter, I'm just saying there's hypocrisy there. But anyway, Daily Wire host Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh. Um, noted the hypocrisy of the racial. The, the radical gender theory uh, proponents denying the professional identity of the shooter, or the professed identity of the shooter. You set a precedent here, and we will hold you to it. You have to respect his identity. I don't. He contended, I don't. You do. There are, or these are your rules. Now take your medicine and shut up. Oh! Okay, Matt! Okay! <sighs> The suspect reportedly changed his name, his name to sick, um, sorry, this is, I can't, I can't read, okay. The suspect reportedly changed his name to six, six years ago to disassociate from his family, good God. Um, the suspect's father was a mixed martial arts fighter and a, and pornographer, pornography performer. Okay, with a long criminal history, including convictions of battery against the alleged shooter's mother. Well then, listen, uh, it's there, it's staring you in the face, I don't even need to say it, there's a reason why he's not binary. Uh, the vandalism of focus on the family, which opposes abortion, same-sex marriage, and the... 
broader LGBTQ movement um, occurs in the wake of the several crisis pregnancy centers uh, enduring a string of property crimes um, following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, while some of the nonprofit profits were um, spray painted with slogans such as "bans" um, or "bans off our bodies," if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Others were set ablaze. Good God! The Department of Justice has received criticism for uh, failing to prosecute the crimes even as they charge pro-life activists with federal crimes. Um, the agency recently arrested Roman Catholic I think it's time for a break, y'all. Yo, I even forgot that I had, like, half an episode already made, and I just, I forgot about it. I forgot about it. So here we go. <laughs> here is, um, the second section of this podcast, and it's usually always up in the air, so this is random stuff that I find interesting. is a bit quiet. It's because my husband is sleeping in the other room. But I really want to get an episode out because I kind of feel like I owe it to y'all. So, excuse me if this ends up becoming an ASMR. I don't know. What the hell is even that? Whatever. I'm not even going to get into it. Let's just find something. Okay, this website claims that these are the best TV shows of 2022. I don't watch a lot of TV unless it's on Hulu or Netflix, but let's see. I forgot that... I don't know how to pronunciate things. <laughs> uh, Pachinko? Number 10 on this list. Never heard of it. But one side effect of the rise in truly global streaming services has been the erosion of the strict borders that have historically defined TV's distribution. Netflix became a poster child for this international exchange with hits like Dark Money Heist and more recently Squid Game, but this year Apple TV delivered the kind of project that is impossible to imagine in any other era of media. An adaptation of a novel by Korean-American author that spans one family's um, decades-long journey from occupied Korea to Japan to the United States. Min Jin Lee um, Panchinko, Panchinko, Pachinko. 
um, is an absorbing epic of assimilation and survival. The limited series does it justice while tailoring the story to its new medium, a process that unlocks new depths. Led by the terror's Sue Hugh, Panchico's writers break a linear story into two halves, a flashback to a young woman's decision to leave home for the sake of her unborn child and her grandson's struggle to prove himself at a Japanese bank. Um, let's see, both stories uh, speak to the experience of Korean immigrants in Japan, also known as Zain, Zainichi, a history that has widely, that is not widely known in the United States, but Pachinko, Pachinko. Um, refuses to water down for the sake of the broader um, audience. Not that viewers primed by a steady diet of cultural imports or even their own lives need to be spoon-fed. Okay. Number nine is Severance. Never heard of this one either. (laughs) Um, I'm so uncultured. I don't know whether that makes me superior to other people or lesser. I guess it just depends on your perspective. Anyway, <laughs> a woman passed out in a conference room. Oh shit. A dance party with mar- maracas. Interesting. Uh, mood lighting and defiant jazz. Goats wa- wandering a fluorescent lit hallway to the back rooms. <laughs> Every time I think of, like, fluorescent lighting, I think of the back rooms. Thank you, Mantis, for that. It's your fault. Uh, these are the incredible images that made Severance Lodge... Severance Lodge deep in our brains. Okay. Like the chips that split some employees at Lumen Industries into an odd and off-duty slaves. Okay, the concept of creator Eric or Dan Erickson, yeah, blends the cold sterility of corporate life with surreal fantasia. That sounds interesting. Is it like an acid trip show? I'm kind of into that. I'd have to be in a rare mood for something like that, though. Um, let's see. The visuals. Uh, captained by director and exclusive producer Ben Stiller, really? Uh, riff on that core combination. Okay. Severance is on the page, a classic mystery box packed to the brim with uh, questions big and small. But it also avoids the genre primary pitfalls. Uh, we are never watching just to find out what's going on nor does the audience ever feel like Severance is dragging itself uh, dragging itself out into string us along. Okay, sorry. I had a brain fart in mid-sentence. I mean, I'm sure that happens to everybody, but it most likely happens to me a lot, so deal with it. <laughs> mm. Instead, we're entertained by 
uh, inventive setups like Lumen's break room, another back room, I swear to God, and invested in the plight of Brit Lowers, Lowers, Helly R, uh, the freshly severed employee. What the fuck? Uh, we first meet uh, in the fateful conference room. This has very backroom vibes, and I don't know whether it's because I've been introduced to the backrooms because just that whole live that Mantis did just kind of made me like think of like every time I've been in a room like that and it kind of makes me a little bit paranoid but I mean even conference rooms have a creepy feel even when you walk into them it's like am I in trouble am I getting a promotion what the fuck is happening I'm sorry. The final episode revealing Helly's Audi, or real-world identity, is among the most thrilling hours of TV aired this year, uh, cementing Severance as 2022's first big breakout. Yay! The White Lotus. Never heard of this one. Mike White has it all figured out after almost a decade away from HBO. The writer-director and Survivor MVP uh, turned a pandemic stopgap into a blank check. My or no, by shooting at Four Seasons Maui, the first season of The White Lotus gave itself a quarantine-friendly HQ, but it also established a playbook to copy when the six-episode series became a smash success. Now that uh, The White Lotus um, is an anthology with a second season um, on air and a third in the works. Its creator has realized the Hollywood dream, an all-expenses-paid trip uh, anywhere in the world at a luxury resort of his choosing, all in Warner Brothers Discovery's dime. This current stop is Sicily, a change in scenery that comes with a change in theme. The White Lotus is still a show about uh, what the wealthy want from their vacations. Um, in Hawaii, it, it, it doesn't the rich always want an affair during their vacations? I could be wrong, but in Hawaii, it was a sense of security and control at the expense of the service staff in Italy that um, had the potential for power that comes with sex. See? Affairs. I knew it. Whatever sold for money or freely exchanged. Uh, White once again recruited an all-star ensemble uh, in pursuit of expertly choreographed chaos. Um, featuring standout turns from Aubrey Plaza, F. Murray, Abraham, Megan Fa Fay, we're gonna say that and more. Um, the star wattage may be similar, but uh, the second season of The White Lotus is distinct enough to prove the first was no fluke and the follow up is no empty cash grab. This concept has legs <laughs> and will follow uh, White wherever he wants to go. Okay. Our flag means death. 
okay this is on hbo max um our flag means death inspired by the stranger than fiction account of british aristocrats deed bonnet a bonnet i don't know who leaves his uh, cushy life behind to become a gentleman pirate what the hell now, when I think of pirate, I think of Captain Jack Sparrow, okay? Don't know if this is the same context, of course, but let me dream. I just want to think of this guy just leaving his life to become a fucking pirate. <laughs> the jokes might write themselves, okay. Uh, like the early seasons of Parks and Recreation, the just posted Leslie um, nope, Nops earnest admiration of government work alongside her cynical colleagues, Benet is hilariously adrift as a cheery, eccentric leader of outlaws, but that transforms our flag means death from a good series into a great one. It is um how it quickly abandons threatening bon bonnet bonnet whatever her fucking last name is like a punchline and embraces genuinely heartfelt queer romances throughout the ensemble okay led by bonnet and the fearsome black beard oh my god it is pirates i thought i thought she just like let her out she is a pirate a sea this must be a period piece. See? I go into these things blindly when I read them, guys. You're really, like, just hearing my genuine uh, excitement for pirates. Uh, okay. So, who find comfort in each other amid their respective midlife crises? you know what they fucked okay our flag means death brushes aside any concerns over queer baiting by allowing its relationships to materialize on screen wait is bonnet a dude or a chick i don't know but it's whatever the fact that this even needs to be uh commended as an indictment of a television landscape that repeatedly lets lgbtq viewers down in any case our flag means death has already charted a promoting course uh as both a workplace comedy and a stirring love story on the high seas okay interesting still don't know whether they're two guys two girls or pirates or hackers please let me know <laughs> Number six, the English. Is any of these on like um, freaking Hulu or Netflix? Because I mean, I, I need some new stuff. You know what? After after I read all this stuff, I'm gonna give you my recommendations because I've been watching a lot of Netflix lately. So, and I'm not gonna rate them. I'm just gonna start talking about them randomly. Don't ask me to rate them. Uh, don't let this title fool you. The English, the six-part Amazon Prime uh, miniseries, is more concerned about the de ideals upon which the United States was formed. 
Okay. Uh, set in 1890, the show follows English aristocrat Cornelia Locke, by, played by Emily Blunt. Love you. You're gorgeous. Um, who travels to the American West in search of the man responsible for killing her son. Along the way, she crosses paths with Eli Whip, um, played by Chesky Spencer. I don't know how to say your name. A Pawnee ex-Calvary scout uh, looking to settle on the land he's earned for his uh, servitude. Why does that kind of sound like... Never mind. Never mind. I'm not even going to say it because I'm just going to go into a spiel on how Dances with Wolves was such a good movie. And I'm not... That has nothing to do with this fuck. It just sounded like how... Kevin Costner's character had to, like, have a post, right? In the middle of bum-fucking-nowhere, right? And... What the hell was that? I lost my train of thought, so you know what? We're not even gonna go there. It goes without saying that the West wasn't kind to a woman or Native Americans, uh, but... As Cornelia and Eli ride off together in the sunset, the English imagines a world where the people of fundamental decency were able to forge their own destinies in the land of opportunity. Of course, the West uh, is still brutal and lawless. Characteristics the series suggests an intrinsic whatever, are intrinsic to the U.S.'s DNA. Um, the show doesn't uh, spare any of its characters. However, well-meaning from the harsh realities of its setting in the best possible way, the English feels like a spiritual cousin to George Miller's Mad Max movies where acts of unspeakable cruelty are set against backdrops of bleak, rugged beauty. The show's memorable array of side characters, including an elderly female outlaw without eyelids. Jesus, how does she blink? I mean, of course she doesn't blink, but her eyeballs must be like raisins. <laughs> um, I'm fed up with myself right now. There's never been a Western on television quite like the English, a revisionist take on the American frontier that remains faithful to the uh, landscape's capacity to overwhelm and terrify the most, and most of all, captivate. Okay, cool. Reservation Dogs. I've heard Mantis. No, that's res is it Reservoir Dogs that he talked about. I don't know. I get listen. All of all of my media stuff, like celebrities and uh, TV shows and movies and stuff. All my information usually comes from fanboy modeling school. Listen, it's on almost every Friday, and it's on Fight Juice, the 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 channel on YouTube. So go to fight juice make sure you click the notification bell because i forgot to do that and now you know i 
I'm I'm grounded. So <laughs> Jesus. Okay. But uh no, Mantis and Steve really, you know, talk a lot about like what's going on in the celebrity world and the the media and the shows and the stuff like that. So it's awesome. Go ahead. If you if you're a movie buff, show buff love celebrities go ahead and watch them because they're awesome and I want to show love okay all right reservation dogs after bursting onto the scene as one of the best shows of 2021 and this is the ambiance of Toledo yo sirens in the background every night anyway after bursting onto the scene as one of the best shows of 2021, Reservation Dogs returned. Oh, reserv- Reservation Dogs. I have heard of this. Isn't uh, this about like life, like teen life on the reservation? Isn't it on Hulu? I think, I think, I think I know what y'all are talking about. I, I have watched a few episodes of this. But, okay, Reservation Dogs returned this year with a funnier, more poignant, and even more assured sophomore effort. Um, after introducing the titular, titular Reservoir Dogs, as well as memorable supporting characters within the Native American community, yeah, okay, uh, the second season sees our plucky protagonist come of age. Bear picks up after school... Um, wait, Bear? Okay, picks up after school work as a roofer while Elora, that's a cute name, gives more thought to leaving the reservation for seemingly greener pastures. Combining the universal anxiety of teenagers trying to figure out what to do with their lives alongside challenges specific to the Native American experience, Reservation Dogs is still like nothing else on television to that end. While the Res Dogs remain the emotional anchor of the series, perhaps the best episode of the season centered on the show's aunties letting loose in an Indian Health Service conference. Their version of Cancun-like getaway, okay, uh, which also revealed that the women are still reeling from the loss of their childhood friend Cookie, Alora's mom. Um, no other series can veer so wildly from moments of slapstick comedy to tear-jerking pathos and um always stick the landing a promising indication that reservoir dogs reservoir god reservation dogs will be a mainstay of these rankings for many years to come uh i mean i don't know why i stopped watching it i think i kind of lost the plot when one guy in the show i think he was the main character he like smoked some weed and he started tripping and having like a vision of like an Indian on a horse, like an old time, like how they used to tribal, you know, I know they, I don't know anything. Okay. I'm sorry. It's just, 
I'm in rare form today. I'm just saying, I stopped watching it because it got a little trippy and I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand, but I'll give it a chance. Again. Soon. The Dropout is number four. Imagine giving a performance so good it gets an A-lister like Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, Jennifer Lawrence, zip her hat and back off. Such is the power of Emmy winner Amanda Seyfried. And, ooh, I, okay. I like Amanda Seyfried as Elizabeth Holmes. The see the scene qua non of Hulu. Okay. Hulu's take on the rise of You know what? I know I've made many mistakes and I think I'm getting pretty annoying right now. Anyway, oh the dropout. Oh this bitch. Oh, I know, I know what this is about. Okay. Okay, we're gonna forget that I just botched that whole introduction and we're just gonna start here. The dropout created by new girls Liz Merriweather uh, arrived this spring as part of a pack. Shows like Super Pumped and We Crashed uh, offered analogous portraits of tech founders uh, gone rogue. Haha, <laughs> rogue? <laughs> okay. While inventing Anna uh, chronicled another charismatic young woman who conned the rich into giving her money she didn't deserve. All this competition could have uh, been a handicap instead. Um, it just emphasized <clears throat> how hard it is to combine social commentary, true crime, and character study. And how well the dropout did so despite the odds. Okay. As channeled by Seyfried, Holmes uh, is a fraud. Well, of Karth. But also a savant. Okay. Makes no excuse. First at science. Wait. Yeah, first at science, then exploiting a system that values hype over hard facts. Flanked by Naveen Andrews uh, as Sunny. Balawani. Balwani? I like Naveen Andrews. He's on he's underrated. Anyway, Holmes mentor, accomplice, and paramour Seyfried finds authentic in insecurity in a persona um that's all artifice. From the promise of a medical miracle to the infant infamous voice. Um, it all builds to a perfect haunting final scene. Disgraced Elizabeth gets out pure primal scream, then introduces herself all smiles to the Uber driver as Lizzie before uh, the real Holmes was sentenced to over a decade in federal prison last month. Oceans of ink were spilled in the uh, Theranos implosion as Lawrence was smart enough to note the dropout um, is so definitive, it may well be the last word. Okay. Now, I've heard of Andor. I've heard of Andor. Don't know much about it. 
I think, I think Mantis actually tried to explain this to me. I'm sorry I didn't remember. <laughs> but number three is Andor. Okay, Star Wars has had a rough go of it lately. Disney has yet to put uh, a new movie on the release calendar after the failure of 2019's The Rise of Skywalker while the slate of Disney Plus uh, series has started to lose their luster. The uh, less said about the book of Boba Fett, the better, okay? Um, given the franchise's recent string of disappointments, the optimistic uh, read on Andor, a spin-off series of the spin-off film, a spin-off of a spin-off, okay, about the rebels snatching up Death Star plans, is that it arrived with relatively modest expectations and minimal fanfare. Um, naturally, Andor is not just the best Star Wars series to date, it might be the franchise's greatest achievement since the original trilogy, which uh, the pedigree of writer-director Tony Gilroy, Michael Clayton, apparently miraculous Rogue One, Rogue One, hmm, Rogue. I love how my name is just thrown in there. I'm kidding. Um, Andor feels like a Star Wars project explicitly aimed at adults. Um, one where the heroes frequently make morally compromising decisions and the full extent of Empire's cruel authoritarian tactics laid bare. From Imperial officers dealing with the shady office politics um, in between torturing innocent civilians and upstanding, um, to upstanding Senator Mon Mothma, okay, uh, realizing that insurgencies must get their hands dirty, there's a real sense of purpose and urgency driving every scene after years of mediocrity and nostalgia baiting Andor is a new hope for Star Wars and uh, what IP extensions should strive to be. Okay. Number two is Better Call Saul. I've heard of this, but I've never seen it. I feel like I've heard it before. Like somebody mentioned it somewhere and it just rang a bell in my brain. Like I've heard this before. Where? Who knows? But anyway. The only thing harder than creating a prestige drama that cuts through the noise of finding satisfying way to end it. Uh, that was just one of the challenges presented by Better Call Saul's final season, which not only had to wrap up the saga of Saul Goodman, but also provide a worthy bookend to the larger Breaking Bad universe. Oh, okay, for a creative team that relishes writing themselves out of narrative corners. Um, Better Call Saul sixth season was an, an especially tricky beast. The 13 episodes jumped all across the timeline, including moments that co coincided with Breaking Bad proper and provided old scenes with thrilling new uh, context. Okay, but for all of the pr 
propulsive thrills. <sighs> okay, Better Call Saul was still never better than when it home when it homed in. Is that how you say it? I thought it was honed in with an N, not an M. Homed in on Jimmy and Kim Wexler and how their relationship might be doing them yeah might be doing themselves more harm than good no matter how much more care how much how much they care for each other who okay okay this uh the sentiment held true all the way through the moving and understated finale which underlined the better call Saul was all along okay a love story about star-crossed lawyers <laughs> okay uh with an excellent ending in the books better call Saul didn't just cement its status as an all-time great prequel but one of the very best shows ever made okay Number one is the rehearsal. What is the rehearsal exactly? A documentary, a social experiment, a pitch black comedy, a gripping human drama, whatever Nathan Fielder's latest project is. Um, it's like anything else on TV. Yeah. Oh, it's unlike. I'm sorry. It's unlike anything. I wouldn't know. I've never watched it. But... Novelty alone doesn't make the rehearsal the show of the year. Over six episodes, an already intricate idea helping regular people prepare for big events by rehearsing them down to the smallest detail escalates into a futile search for the line that separates reality and performance theory and practice and inside of your head and substance of others' lives. So, it's a mind fuck. Interesting. Fielder's previous show, Nathan For You, uh, thrived on discomfort mostly for the viewer and sometimes the guests. The rehearsal turns that anxiety inward. Fielder's on-screen, Fielder's on-screen persona has long shown inability to engage in easy human interaction instead fixating on increasingly elaborate schemes at first the rehearsal simply offers a new kind of overcomplicated gimmick but after just one well executed plan to help the brooklyn trivia player come clean to a friend the rehearsal forces fielder to question his own hypothesis what if you can't anticipate life's every turn what if you shouldn't try who could you hurt by trying to control life's inevitable inevitable chaos um the rehearsal works as a metaphor on multiple levels it's about filmmaking it's about parenting it's about marginalized people in this case jewish uh fielder uh, in deeply goyish Oregon, trying to understand their oppressors, but it's also about the deep narcissism of the anxious mind, the way obsessing over your own neurosis blinds you to the fact that everyone's the center of their own universe. The rehearsal combines this psychological insight with such jaw 
jaw-dropping feats as rebuilding a Brooklyn bar on a sun soundstage only cements its status. I'm as excited for what, what the... I'm excited for season two as I am afraid of what uh, it might reveal. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> Hi, babe. I hear you. Somebody woke up. Okay, this is Sarah Jane's bullshit, uh... Netflix recommendations. Yay! I would put, like, an applause sound right here if I could, but it's Anchor, so... <laughs> um, so, the first one is Dairy Girls, and if you have not been here long enough, I like to uh, express the fact that I am Irish. I am, in fact, Irish. And, uh, I like to talk about that sometimes. I kind of take pride in that because it just fits. It fits me. I have no filter. I cuss up a storm. I don't give a shit most of the time. I have no filter and I feel like that kind of makes me enjoyable when it comes to people listening to me. But anyway, the only evidence I have of me knowing that I'm Irish is because of my last name. Um, my maiden name, um, is of Irish descent, which, um, if it hadn't been changed from, uh, when my ancestors came from Ireland to America, it would have been more of an Irish name, because I can't tell you my last name, guys. I'm, I'm just not gonna do that. You're just gonna have to trust me on this. I'm Irish, okay? <laughs> but, okay. Bottom line, I like learning about Ireland. I like learning about um, my ancestries, and I like learning about my heritage. Um, which I think everybody should know their heritage at least, or at least maybe a small bit of it. But I've been really getting getting into like Irish music, Irish um, punk music, Irish um, shows, and Dairy Girls is a show on Netflix. It's got three seasons, and unfortunately, it is finished, and I'm really sad. The only reason why I think it's finished is just because the director, um, she wants to go on to more, uh, like, different projects and stuff like that, and then one of the main, um, actresses, uh, who plays Claire in the um, show has gone on to Bridgerton. She acts in Bridgerton. She acts in the first and second season of Bridgerton. And I'm waiting for the third season of Bridgerton because, God, I'm living for that damn show. But let's just, let's just, um, focus on Dairy Girls, okay? Dairy Girls is, uh, it takes place in the 90s where the sectarian conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics, um, you know, was a big thing at the time. People were dying, there were protests going on, they were fighting, riots, everything. Uh, bomb threats. And uh, it's all about teen life in the 90s in Ireland in a city or in a town called Derry. 
and it's in Northern Ireland. And um, people call it London dairy. People call it just plain dairy. And um, it it kind of follows these five teens and how their life kind of um, is affected by the times that they're in. And it is hilarious. Um, it does take um, some very emotional and serious turns, but most of the time it will leave you howling with laughter because it's just, it's just that blunt. And I love blunt comedy and it's just amazing. I just can't. I can't. It, I'm smiling from ear to ear. It makes me happy. But one of the main characters, her name is Erin Quinn, and uh, she kind of, she's the main character and she kind of like writes everything down, like her experiences in her diary. And then she has a cousin named Orla who doesn't know boundaries and starts reading her diary. And she has a best friend named Michelle who um, has no filter and just says fuck a doodle do a lot and motherfuckers all the time. And it's amazing. I, I love her. And then she has a cousin named James who has to go to this Catholic all girls school because he's English because um, his mom abandoned him in Derry uh, with his aunt and his uh, cousin. So he has to kind of go through life as a teen boy in an all-girls Catholic school. <laughs> because if they enrolled him in a all-boys school, he probably would have been beaten up because he was English. So that's fun. And then we have the neurotic Claire who is just a walking nerve, I don't know, just a walking panic attack. She's afraid of everything. And um, it's just great. I don't know how to explain a lot of things. Hopefully I explained it enough. But they get into some really funny hijinks. Um, one episode, they steal a notice board from a restaurant and they get caught and they have to uh, clean the restaurant in order to pay for the notice board that they stole. And they end up burning the restaurant down. And... It's all because of the irresponsibility that they have. It's, it's hilarious. But anyway, we're going to go to on to the next one. Okay, the next one uh, is the most recent one that I finished. It's called Puppy Cat, and it's an anime. I guess you would call it an anime or a cartoon. It kind of has anime vibes just because of like the colors and, and stuff like that. And to be honest, if I could explain Puppy Cat makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Um, it's about this girl who ends up taking the blame for one of her best friends is like chaos at this cat restaurant, like this cat coffee shop that she works in. And she, she takes the blame because she ends up, like, taking a nap and she ends up, like, ma like, making one of the cats, like, cook dinner for the people of the coffee shop. And then, um, apparently it was her best friend's fault somehow. And then she ended up taking the blame because 
her best friend always wanted to be a cook, so therefore, you know, she got fired instead of him. And then um, she encourages him to go to cooking school and all of all of this other shit. But somehow this weird cat-like thing just falls out of the sky. She doesn't know whether it's a puppy or a cat, so she calls him Puppy Cat, and she takes him home. And then later on, she finds out this thing can talk, but this thing can cannot talk. Like, to me, it can't talk, because it, it just sounds like something you would hear from, like, one of those old dial-up uh, internet connections, you know? Like the... I don't know how to explain it. Um, but somehow, B, the um, girl in the show, uh, ends up, like, understanding him, and they end up going on these, like, otherworldly universe adventures, and they get paid for helping, like, aliens and other creatures out in the universe. Um, they help them out, and then they get paid for that. And, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, you ever have one of those cartoons? I love cartoons, I grew up with cartoons, and I'm sure a lot of people who have been born in the 90s grew up with cartoons. But I've, I always find comfort in cartoons for some reason, and I have to find, like, a good one. Like, My Hero Academia is a really good cartoon, I know it's technically anime, and it is, but it's technically a cartoon. And I find comfort in the characters and all that. And um, I find comfort in Daria and... Um, what's another one? The regular show. <laughs> um, and I think it's all because it just kind of brings me back to childhood. And um, a lot of the time when I want to relax, I want to curl up with my phone in my bed and I want to watch like a cartoon. <laughs> and... Um, so, Puppy Cat really made me feel nostalgic. And I think it's the, the way that the uh, person who created it, um, it's just the way that person created it. So, uh, the color scheme is very beautiful. Uh, the way that I can describe the color scheme of this show is if you look at a lo-fi style piece of art, and how the colors kind of make you feel nostalgic and make you feel comfort. That's how I kind of see it. Um, and the, the bright colors are beautiful. I know it doesn't really make sense a lot of the time. Like, she doesn't have a fridge and she keeps her food in the toilet. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how she's still alive. But it... it it makes no sense, but then again I find comfort that it doesn't make sense. If you know what I mean, it's weird. It's one of those weird, comforting shows that don't make any sense. It's kind of like Adventure Time, but I feel like Puppy Cat makes more sense than Adventure Time, which is weird. I can't get into Adventure Time, unfortunately. I don't know why. I really want to because I like Jake and, uh, what what's her name? Princess Raincorn. I love I love them. I love those two. And I have. I've watched a couple of those, but I can't, like, get into the storyline because I don't think there is. I don't know. I'd have to give it more chances. But yes, Puppy Cat is kind of like that um, in a way where 
it, you have comfort in something that doesn't make sense. You just kind of want to sink yourself into something nonsensical. And that's what that is. Um, that's what puppy cat really is. <laughs> okay, so um, I blame Mantis for this. And I know I've been mentioning him throughout this whole episode. Um, yeah, I'm not sorry. You, yeah. Uh, Wednesday. I sat down with my husband the other day and we watched all of the episodes. Actually, I think we have like two left. Um, but ever since the live stream of him reviewing like Wednesday, we ended up watching it and oh my god did my emo heart just burst with fucking joy. I love everything about this show. It is just beautiful. I don't know why. It just makes me happy. I think it's just because I grew up watching The Addams Family, like all the, sh the uh, movies and stuff like that, so it's like revisiting my childhood again. <laughs> And I love that Christina Rishi is in the show as well, which makes me even more happy because now I know that the main actress has a mentor on set, which is going to make it so much more perfect and much more beautiful. Um, the one person that I'm not sold on is Gomez. I don't know why they casted him as Gomez, but I mean, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. But um, I really like the adventures that Wednesday is going on and how um, she's kind of like stuck in between. Um, how do you say it? Stuck in between two boys. And the thing is, is that she shows no emotion, but I know she feels emotion. I know she has a lot of emotions, but she doesn't display it because she thinks it would make her weak. And she's uncovering all these secrets. It's, just, it's a whole adventure for for someone who views the show. And uh, one of my favorite characters, not colors, <laughs> one of my favorite characters right now, besides Wednesday, is Enid. I That is my child. Enid is my daughter. She is my child. I love her. She is me. <laughs> so, um, I think I have to clarify, whenever I say that a certain character is my child, I just see traits of myself in that character. So yes, Enid is my child. That's my child. That is, that is my kid. <laughs> and I also just love the fact that Tim Burton is directing this as well. I mean... Chef's kiss. It's beautiful. Uh, he has always... He's really perfected his own niche. Like, his own style of directing. And his own style of, like... Making something look exactly like his vision. So, like, whenever you see a movie and you don't... You don't know that this person directed it like you don't know that Tim Burton directed it you can just look at it and be like Tim Burton's the director bro he he designed this he had his hands all in this he's amazing
amazing. I love Tim Burton. I just, this is wonderful. This makes my heart happy. Okay, this next show is called Glitch. And Glitch is a Korean-made show about this girl that ends up trying to find her boyfriend after she breaks up with him. And she ends up, like, banding together with a group of conspiracy theorists about aliens because she believes that he was abducted by aliens. Because she had her own experience with being abducted. Or she's slowly unearthing the fact that she was somehow abducted as a child. So she's always had, like, a fascination with aliens and stuff like that. So, um... It all starts when her and her boyfriend kind of like announce to her parents that, oh, we're going to be living together and we're going to later on get engaged and then get married and everything's happening so fast with her that she ends up having like flashbacks and seeing like little tiny gray aliens with like an army hat. <laughs> uh, nothing makes sense right now. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Korean-made movies and shows. I don't know what it is. But the way that they do it, it's like... It's it's like how Tim Burton perfected his own, like, style of show or movie. It's like the Korean uh, movie genre has, like, perfected its own way of, like, making something so outrageous look like it completely fits within the storyline. And it's incredible. I love that. I love that so much. But anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't really get too far in the in this uh, show, but I I have hope for it. I really do. Um, I like aliens and I like conspiracy theories, so this just really I feel at home watching this. <laughs> so, uh, Glitch is another good one. It's a really good one. Okay, so this next recommendation is actually a movie and I am everywhere when it comes to certain like shows and movies like there's not one genre I usually stick to and say it's my favorite it just depends on what really catches my eye and captures my heart so this one is an anime movie and it's called a silent voice and it's been around for a while but I discovered it last year and I cried the first time I watched it and that's the first time I have ever like cried over an anime movie because it really sucks you into like the emotions of the main character I don't remember the main character's name but this whole story is about a bully who ends up um, terrorizing this deaf girl to the point where she moves schools and around the time when he's like 16, 17, 18, he grows up and he he hates himself for what he did and he ends up trying to commit suicide. But of course, his mother kind of catches on and is like, "You're not doing that. We love you. You need to, you know, take care of yourself. You need to forgive yourself." And it doesn't ring true until towards the end of the the movie but he ends up tracking this girl down 
And uh, he's kept this notebook that she used to write her sentences in, like her responses to other people. And he used to hate that. He used to think that was so annoying. He, like, ripped her hearing aids out and made her ears bleed. That's how bad it was for her being terrorized by him. And he feels so sorry that he tracks her down and says, you know, I'm really, really sorry for what I did. And slowly but surely, they end up becoming friends again. And he ends up starting to make more friends as time goes on in this story. It's a slice-of-life type of uh, anime. And um, I love it because he has gone through so much with his emotions and not, like, forgiving himself. He thinks him, like... He himself is the worst person ever. And then the deaf girl, I can't remember their names, I'm really sorry. But um, she also thinks that she's the worst person in the world because she can't talk like everybody else. Like, she doesn't respond to everybody uh, like everyone else. So she ends up trying to commit suicide as well. But he saves her. And... um, towards the end of uh, the movie. I know it's kind of sad and it's a bit heartbreaking, but it's one of those sad movies where like nobody dies and there's a lesson at the end. Listen, it's beautiful. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite anime movies of all time. And um, sometimes I watch it, you know, just because of how it makes me feel. It, it, it just kind of makes me feel like I deserve what I deserve. Like, I deserve what's been given to me because of what I went through. And uh, that's kind of like what the main character needs to learn towards the end. But yeah, towards the end of the movie, um, he looks around and sees all the people that he's touched just by apologizing and changing his life around. He has tons of friends, and he has that one person, that um, girl that he has said sorry to, and he ends up breaking down, crying, just completely humbled by how he got here. He's like, oh my god, how did I get here? This is incredible, and I don't deserve it, but he does. He deserves it because he worked for it. He worked to be a better man, and I love that so much. A silent voice watch it. It's amazing. Okay, the last one is Toradora, and it's an anime, and, uh, yes, I am a weeb. Shut up. Uh, (laughs) this was, um, an anime I started watching. Oh, wait, I got another one, so never mind. We're gonna, we're gonna keep going. One more after this. Anyway, but this, uh, Toradora came around after, I want to say, the fifth season of My Hero Academia, like, ended, So, I was not ready to say goodbye to that last season. Oh no, it was the fourth season, I have to say. Yeah, because it was years ago. It was actually... It was last year. But anyway, um, it felt like years ago. But anyway, Toradora is about um, this boy who doesn't look like everybody else. He kind of looks ugly compared to everybody else. Uh, he has a strange face. Uh, the creator who, the animator who made 
the character tried to make him look like adorable yet kind of scary to other to the other characters in the show so he has um a different look about him which kind of like puts everybody else off like he's intimidated to everybody else so um he ends up meeting this girl named uh taiga that's her name and his name is ryukyu i know these characters um and ryukyu was born uh he is he doesn't have a father his father walked out on him and his mother a long time ago and i think he has a little sister i think so and um he's like the man of the house in this uh show and he ends up like cooking for his mom it's like his mom is his child instead of him being the child of his mother so like he parents his little sister and his mom and his mom goes out drinking with gentlemen every night for some reason i i don't i don't it it is not clear what his mom does but i kind of assume that she might be a prostitute but i i don't know i don't know i don't want to assume but um he ends up meeting this girl named Tyga. She's like five feet. She's really super short. She's a firecracker. And um, it, it's all about like these group of friends and how they all have liked each other at one point. And um, how Ryukyu really likes Tyga's best friend, but ends up falling in love with Tyga. And Tyga has always been that type of girl that sacrifices her own happiness for the happiness of other people. And um, when her best friend confesses that she's been in love with Ryukyu for a long time, Taiga runs away. Like, she doesn't want to be involved in this. She just wants her friends happy. She's fine with being disappointed for all of her life. Like, her father was never present in her life. Um, and her mother, she ran away from her mom. She lives in her her own apartment, um, that is funded by her mom, you know, to, for some reason, it's, it's just a weird situation with her, but, um, both of them, Ryukyu and Taiga end up like confessing their love for each other, but they actually never get together towards the end which really pissed me off because it's like three seasons of just these kids doing teen stuff which I'm fine with I love teen angst and stuff but it is a beautiful show it's just towards the end I wish that they would have had like a happy ever after because Taiga decides that she wants to mend Um, things with her parents so she ends up moving back with her parents in a different city while Ryukyu ends up finishing his last years of school at his old at his school that Taiga used to go to and um, he's kind of disappointed by that because he hasn't heard from her since and it's like it's it's real life this is something that would happen in real life it's a slice of life type of thing again but yeah that one that one hit different when I started watching that I'm like you guys suck 
I fell in love with all these characters and y'all don't want to have a happy ever after? Fuck you. No, but it is wonderful. It is wonderful. Last one. Last one is cyberpunk. My god. I love it so much. It's beautiful. Um, this story takes place... I think his name is David. I don't remember. See, I only know Lucy and Rebecca. I don't know why. But, um, I think his name is David. We'll just say David. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, okay? I'm, I'm very late to the cyberpunk fandom, so please don't come at me. Anyway, this takes place in a cyberpunk world, and, um... You are either a suit or you are in the poorer areas. I don't know what they call them. But, um, anyway, hang on. Everyone in this city is obsessed with the newest update and they update their bodies. Like, they update their own bodies. So, um, uh, a lot of these people, they have, like, these memory chips behind their ears and uh, people steal them in order to like get into people's bank accounts and and medical records and all this other stuff. So um, that's interesting. <laughs> but the main character is David, and David um, is in high school in the beginning of the movie and uh, movie the show, and um, his mom does his does her best because she's a single mom and does everything that she can in order to have her son like have the best education but of course he goes to this high end school where he's not accepted because they know where you know what area he comes from so um at some point um he ends up doing something really stupid at school he gets into a fight, and then um, he ends up getting suspended from school. So, uh, eh. David and his mom are in the car, and she's just lecturing him about how um, he needs to be more responsible because she's doing everything she can to make him happy and all this stuff. And then they end up having a car accident, and the mom dies. And he ends up finding out that she was trying to sell this uh, spinal replacement. It would, like, replace the spine. And it's like an, one of those updates. And he ends up putting the update in his body. And it's like a military-grade spine. And he can do a lot of shit with it. But... The person who bought the spine can't have it anymore, which means there's a bounty on David's head, but he ends up joining this gang and stuff like that. And then that's when he meets um, the Edge Runners, and he meets the love of his life, Lucy, and um, someone who becomes like his little sister, Rebecca, who is also my child. Oh my god, I love her so much. And the sad part about this show is that, um, for one, it's only got one season, and I'm kind of sad about that, but we'll just leave it. We'll leave it. We'll leave that to uh, some sort of angry rant later, but, <laughs> um, 
There are times when someone updates themselves way too much with machinery to the point where they go crazy and they die. And that's the sad part about the cyberpunk world that um, this uh, creator has written. And it it kind of like, I like that um, idea. I like that because um, as much as you kind of get swept away in this imaginative sci-fi cyberpunk world there's a dose of reality as well so it brings you down to reality as well as keeping you in this imaginative world the color scheme in this show is incredible um i would love to live in a world like this as long as rebecca and david are in it I would be happy. I would. Um, <laughs> but it, it is very sad towards the end. I'm not going to reveal the ending because then you would have no reason to watch it. But um, it is an incredible anime. I wish it would be more than one season, which is fine. I understand like um, it became a project because they wanted to see if it would, you know, be good as an anime, and it did. I just wish they wouldn't have quit with the characters. And I'm, well, you'll see why there is only one season uh, once you start watching it and you finish it. But you, you, you are left wanting so much more, and uh, that's not fair, guys. It's not fair. <laughs> So, I've been debating this in my mind, whether I want to do this, so I think I want to, at least one chapter of it, and um, we'll see how it goes later on if you guys want um, another excerpt of uh, the book that I'm writing, but um, this is uh, something very personal to me, so... Um, I hope you guys enjoy what I'm about to re read you because this is something that um, I've been working on for about since 2019, I want to say. Um, it's a book that I've written and I'm in, like, I'm revising at the moment and I've just finished an outline for it, mapping out every single detail in order for this thing to get published someday, which will happen and um once that happens i will make an announcement on my instagram and anybody who wants it i will send it to you you just have to buy it but um yes this is a serious thing so i just really hope you guys like it um the reason why i wrote this book is because I had a dream about a post-apocalyptic world where robots like started um, ruling the world, I guess. <laughs> um, and I, I saw characters and I saw like how 
the world looked. It was so vivid to me. So um, this book is called Rogue. This is how I got Rogue Radio. Yes. And um, this is um, a story about five main characters and how they want to change the post-apocalyptic world that they live in because they remember um, this world as something different and they want to bring it back to its to it being whole again um, I guess and um, there's a lot <laughs> that needs to be fixed but um, yeah I think that's what I'm gonna do I think I'm gonna read you a bit of uh, something that I can give you at least to get you excited to, to, to see this on a shelf one day. So before I uh, read all of this, um, I have an excerpt in mind. It's not the first chapter, but it will kind of like lay ground of like where uh, it all starts, this whole story. So, um, I'm going to be throwing out some words <laughs> and things that don't make any sense. Like, they're not words, but they're words in the book. So, that they're imaginative fantasy sci-fi words, okay? So, uh, yes. So, this, uh, book all centers around a continent called Elysium. And there are states or countries... I don't know whether or not I want them countries or states yet, but um, they all have their own unique words or names. So um, I just hope you guys like what I'm about to read you guys. I, I really hope you guys like this. Okay, here we go. Moment of truth. All right. <clears throat> Fallon stepped inside and witnessed the beautiful interior of the room. This is where you live, she asked. Venner nodded and plundered through the kitchen, trying to find food that would go together with... that would make a worthy dinner. Fallon was left to wander, and the place was relatively clean compared to the rest of the city's houses. Uh, he kept his house crisp and proper despite the outside environment that threatened the outside... or the inside... It was as if the house was a beam of light that stood against the dark, dreary world around them. Warm yellow light filled the room, fur carpets, and smooth gray floors. A long and wide window overlooked the city below, and the couches and chairs were made of real onyx leather. The floors glowed against the light and danced upon the surface. This was almost unreal to Fallon. Could such grand and rich beauty even exist still? Feel free to look around if you like, Venner said, still perusing through the refrigerator cupboards. Uh, there was a fake wall that separated the living room that looked like an office, a thick black metal desk that sat in the middle of a poorly lit room. A thick layer of dust collected upon its surface, starved of the company of that once visited it frequently. 
Fallon imagined a pile of papers and pencils strewn about the top and of the desk and a hard-working Venner slumped over asleep and his hair a mess from frustration. A hallway met her gaze and invited her as she walked. Pictures of his family and paintings of such finery dotted along the walls. Fallon swore they belonged in a museum. She stopped in front of a huge painting of what looked like his family. A strongly painted Venner in blue, in a blue suit that, and a tamed mohawk. Combed and set to the side, a gorgeous blonde woman hung on his arm and, ate, and smiled with complete joy. Her long flowing turquoise gown complementing her glowing ex- complexion. Sitting in the chair was the younger version of her mother in an extravagant dark blue dress. Her blonde curls bounced upon her shoulders and gave a soft, contented smile to the painter at the, uh, and the same electric blue eyes as her father. I see you have met the late family, Venner said, coming up behind her. She gave a sympathetic smile to him, knowing the pain he had in his heart and how it hurt. They're beautiful. Thank you. He looked at the painting. I'm sure you know Indra and my wife. Uh, That one there is my daughter, Clara, he said, pointing to the women in the painting. I'm terribly sorry for what happened. Your wife was a remarkable woman. I don't think anyone in Desolate disliked her. Venner stood silent for a short moment, and Fallon felt the pain of his wound. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. It's perfectly fine. He felt a stab in his heart. Thank you for saying that. I know how it feels to lose someone you love. She looked up at him with understanding eyes. Yeah. Venner bit back the tears that threatened to come forth. I have noodles and bread. (laughs) I have other things... If you like to take a look, he said, desperate to change the subject. Sure, Um, she said reassuringly. Fallon left the hallway to see what she could find, and Venner watched as she vanished from from the line of sight. Um, He opened the door to Claire's room and gasped, seeing the dusty state of of his beloved daughter's bedroom. He stepped in and looked around, just like he left it. A clean and organized room adorned in turquoise and indigo, silk, bedding, and curtains, Claire's favorite colors. A long three-paneled window that uh, took the majority of one wall. A walk-in closet with two doors, both sides of her bed, that held her elegant dresses and beautiful garments. Memories flooded... His head of Clara, her voice as clear as day, singing a lovely tune. Her eyes sparkling with joy every time she cracked a smile. And the free-spirited gait she had when she danced or walked. A smile played upon his lips, seeing the very image of his gorgeous child prancing about in his mind. The lightness she or he felt um, thinking about her son. Her son? Jesus, thinking about her soon sank, excuse me, Um, realizing that she was gone. Venner's heart sank as his eyes met the lonely room again. He should have been there. 
He should have been there to save them and whisk them away to safety. He regretted the moment he was separated from his family. He didn't know, and it all happened so fast. Fenner sat in the council room, President Spirit looking at the other leaders of Elysium. They were all awaiting an announcement that the president uh, said would change Elysium as they know it. President Spirit was a man of progression. He liked to make sure things were modern and efficient in his country. Leaders from Cinder's derelict and even Zion and Tasmir, which were two holy cities at war at the time. Spirit stood and gestured someone to bring in a human-shaped contraption into the middle of the room. Venner sat forwards and looked at the strange thing covered in a sheet. This, my dear friends, is the future of the police force of Elysium, he, the tall, bald man, announced to the council. Um, the object was uncovered, and there, standing in front of the council of leaders, was a white robot, the same height as most of the people in the room. Its eyes blinked open and shined a brilliant blue, the light shining off its polished white body. It looked around the room, taking its first steps. This is what you want to use for the police force? The leader of Desolate's neighboring state, Alada, spoke up. This isn't a good idea. Fenner stood next to his friend and agreed. With all due respect, but my Aladian friend has a point. If you do this, Elysium's policemen will be out of work and poverty will rise. Exactly. Another leader from the southeastern area of Elysium rose. Asporians are having enough trouble dealing with poverty. Our policemen are fathers and mothers who need to put food on their table. The dark-skinned woman looked at Spirit in irritation. I beg to differ, one man rose to defend his president. I see this as an opportunity to make new jobs for the unemployed. There are many jobs that can that they can find, especially in Amishire. The man looked at everyone smugly. Of course, the leader of Spirit's home state would come to his defense. That doesn't make any sense. Sriconians have always been lesser off. Uh, than the cushy state of Amos. The mayor of Shriko rose his voice. What will Amishire do for the states that are below its station? He asked. Now, all of you, please. Venner tried to make peace between all of the leaders of Elysium, but his voice couldn't be heard over their arguing voices. Uh, trading real humans who need the money for bots that don't have any need for it? Tell us how Strakos will recover from that spirit. Um, Venner looked at the upset in the room, his eyes falling on the bot that just stood there looking confused and deterred from the humans, the way humans were acting in front of it. Have you even thought of thought this through? Tons of people will be out of work, and you'll have to teach a whole new force how to protect the country, the leader of Cinder spoke up. 
If you are going to do this, make more job opportunities first, then replace the force, the mayor of Illuminatia chimed in. Ibra will not stand for this, neither will Illifel. Uh, silence! The voice was so loud that it cut through the loud, boisterous noise that echoed within the room. A man stood from his seat, tan skin and dark raven hair. Everyone knew him, and no one dared to talk over the leader of the Zionites. He approached President Spirit and looked him straight in the eyes. Our prophecies from the island of Lion Rock do not line up with this foolish choice. Oh, stop with that religious blabber, one of the leaders interjected. The man cocked his head to the sound of the voice that looked or that or, and looked at the brutal leader of Tasmir. I have no patience for you, Cain. You have slaughtered too many of my people already, and I will not listen to your poisonous voice. He spoke authoritatively. A tall, burly man stood and approached him. This is a peaceful council, Abel. I would assume you would follow the rules. Please, Venner spoke up. He looked at the president. Zion and Tasmir are at war. This bot, I know for a fact, has cost a fortune to make. Our funds need to go to the two suffering territories right now. We cannot afford to bring this into the country. Not with a war we need to take care of. Well said, Venner. Abel bowed his head to him in respect. Elysium is nearing its next great famine. The people need help from other people, not machines, he finally said before returning back to his seat. President Spirit didn't listen and, of course, brought Elysium to ruin. Fallon walked down the hallway to show him what she found and stopped once she saw him in silent meditation. She slowly backed away and returned to the kitchen. What a poor and lonely man, she thought. It wasn't fair. All of this wasn't fair. No wonder he wanted to escape this place so badly. Fallon finally saw the world through Venner's eyes. He wanted a new life. To forget the past and move on. This house kept him grounded in the memories that haunted him. He was a prisoner of his own memories, and he wanted to be free of them finally. Venner had finally emerged from the hallway and locked eyes with Fallon. She gave him an understanding nod and held up the jar of sauce that she found. I found this on top of the fridge, and I think we can use it, she asked. Or she said. <laughs> um, of course, yes, we can use that. Venner took the jar in his hands and looked it over. I forgot I had that up there. I have to ask, Fallon said, how do you keep your house so clean and brand new when the world out there is so crazy? It's not that hard. Indra used to clean, cook, and keep the house, you know, prim and proper. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was improv. There was an ad. It covered my text. It's a good habit to have, she smiled, so we should be on our merry way if uh, you don't want me to spend the night. She grabbed 
the things off the counter, and Venner followed her out. What time is it? It's 11.45. Oh god, we have to hustle if we don't want to get caught past midnight. I agree. They galloped down the stairs and bolted out the doors to the building, dipping through alleyways and cutting through abandoned buildings to miss any bots that would find them suspicious. Do you see the police anywhere? Fallon asked, uh, looking out the window. They had entered an old run-down library to make a shortcut. Um, I don't see any, Venner replied. They slipped out the back door and started to run down the lane. Let's see. The clock tower sang out its first gong and the fear pulsed through both of them, fueling their adrenaline. The second rang through the town, sending vibrations through the ground as they, they sprinted towards the house. Are you doing okay back there, Venner? She asked. <laughs> Just dandy, Fallon, he said sarcastically. Um, not exactly wanting a casual conversation at such a dire time. The third gong sounded and they... Uh, could see the house just around the corner. We're almost there. Their legs felt weak and Hawk opened the door to the house looking for them. Hawk! Fallon screamed in desperation. Come on! The fourth ring gets the bots alert. And lo and behold, the fourth gong sounded and the town through the town. And just as Hawk said, the bots aroused and ran about. Halt. There, you two. <laughs> uh, Venner could hear a simulated voice coming up behind him. He sprinted up to Fallon, running the rest of the way with her and Hawk, slamming the door shut once they were finally inside. Curfew broken. Execution authorized, the boss said, in or on the other side of the door. Hawk scurried to the kitchen. What are you doing? She whispered. It's time to see if these work. Hook this behind your ears, and uh, let's just pray. <laughs> That's not what it says, I'm sorry. Um, let's see. They did what he said and hooked them behind their ears. Hawk opened the doors and looked at the bot fearlessly. The bot looked around as the others stood very still. The robot looked a little confused. It was as if they vanished from thin air. The frequency rang in its brain and shook its head. Fallon's heart raced as she stared at the bot's horrifying eyes. The bot's signals jammed, and it rose its hands to its head, shaking and trying to get back to finding the culprits. After a while, the bot turned and slammed the door shut, walking away from the crazy experience it just had. I can't believe that worked, Venner stated. <laughs> uh, Hawk and Fallon uh, filled the house with nervous laughter. Brother, you're a genius. She collapsed against the wall in relief. They work. I can't believe they freaking work. <laughs> Stop improving, Sarah. They work. I can't believe they actually work. All right. Hawk laughed out in disbelief. Venner just started or no, stared at both of them before uh, joining in the laughter himself. Okay. This Guys, that was my excerpt. I hope I read it 
a lot better than I do with everything else. So, um, that was part of my heart, and, um, I really hope you guys appreciate it, because, um, I am still revising this, and I am not going to stop until it's perfect, and I just hope you guys enjoy it, and if you guys want more, um, excerpts from it, I will gladly give it to you guys. This next one is World News. Before we end this episode, I feel like it's run a little long. I might be wrong. I just feel like uh, these segments were extra long today. But, um... I just want to thank Romania for uh, starting to listen. I am very, very happy that you guys have started to listen, and I appreciate you, and this is my way of appreciating you guys. I am going to read um, an article of news from your home country, just to let you guys know how much I care about you guys. Okay, I found one. So... I hate ads, and there's one about to pop up, and I'm really mad. No, I'm not interested. Just let me read it, please. Brussels ends 15 years of special rule of law surveillance on Romania. Romania has come to the end of a 15-year-long road. The European Commission confirmed yesterday the country had made enough progress in judicial reforms and the fight against corruption granting the official closure of the so-called cooperation and verification mechanism, the CVM. The CVM is a special rule of law surveillance program that was launched in January 2007 when Romania and Bulgaria joined the European Union. Uh, Back then, both countries were considered to be lagging far behind on judicial standards compared to uh, the rest of the bloc. Let's see. The process was meant to bridge this gap and help the two countries align with their fellow member states and ensure the correct application of EU law. The European Commission put an end to Bulgaria's supervision in 2019 after concluding uh, it had met all the necessary conditions. In the case of Romania, the wait was longer. Afterwards, um, or after years of sustained progress, the European Commission detected a waning. Uh, momentum between 2017 and 2019 and put forward additional recommendations. Uh, Then Romania picked up the slack and injected renewed impetus impetus, um, into the CVM process, fulfilling and remaining objectives, including reforms on political immunity for members of the parliament, conflicts of interest and the recovery of criminal assets. Uh, This week, the Commission announced the progress in the outstanding issues 
was sufficient and officially closed the CVM chapter. Fifteen years after accession, um, the conclusions of the report reflected Romania's efforts and its entry to a logic of strengthening our European status. Nikolai Lonel uh, Siuka, um, I'm sorry, that's a bad word in Russian. I don't know if it is in Romanian. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I can't pronounce stuff and then I stick my foot in my mouth trying to. Anyway, Romania's prime minister in reaction to the news, we remain firmly anchored in Romania's uh, clear and long-term European vision. A European vision based on unity, democracy, rule of law, and values uh, shared equally by all member states. A, as a result, Romania will no longer be um, under a tailor-made supervision. Uh, its judicial, judicial system will be monitored as part of an annual rule of law report, uh, which the European Commission applies to all 27 member states. However, this doesn't mean corruption is no longer a problem uh, inside the country. Romania is still one of the lowest-ranking EU countries in the uh, Corruption uh, Perceptions Index of Transparency International with the meager 45 to 100 score. In this year's Rule of Law report, the European Commission noted that while Romania has made strides Jesus, um, to improve its anti-corruption legislation, uh, certain key aspects such as rules on revolving doors, politically, or political party financing, and protection of whistleblowers remain fragmented or missing. And you know what? I'm going to call it a night. Thank you all for listening. I will see you in the trenches next time. Love you. Bye.